Who are you missing today? We had that Thanksgiving holiday just over a week ago, and maybe it was the college kid that came home and you got to reconnect with him or her. Or maybe it was that brother or sister you haven't seen in a while and you got to share that feast with them. And now you're missing them again. Will you get to see them at Christmas? Is that the next time that it's going to be a connection point for you? Maybe it's your mom that you've needed to move to assisted living. Maybe it's that son who's in the military serving far away. Maybe it's that family, you know, the one on your block that moved in and you grew close together, your kids played together, and you got along so well, you had meals in each other's homes and had play groups, you even went on vacation together. But, you know, their job required them to move to another city and, and now you're missing them. Maybe it's that friend that you had... Uh, in high school, you play in band together, and, um, or you were on the soccer team together, or you went to the youth mission trip together, and now they've had to move. Who are you missing today? Maybe it's someone who's died. Your wife. You just had the holiday of Thanksgiving, and even though you had the same food prepared, it was exactly the same recipe, it was same, served in the exact same ceramic dish, it wasn't the same. Something was missing. Someone was missing. Who are you missing today? We had this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, and he's missing his friends in that congregation. He's being held in a Roman jail. We don't know where. I read the commentaries, and there's lots of debate about that, but we do know this. He was close to those people, and he was awaiting trial, and he couldn't be with them. He missed them. Could you tell it from the language in the letter how much he missed them? Can you imagine being in a worship service? This is how it used to be. The letters would be read out loud before the congregation in worship. Hear Paul's deep affection for his friends in Philippi. I keep you in my heart, or as the translation said, you keep me in your heart. It could go either way in the Greek. Does it really matter? We hold each other in each other's hearts. And he prays for them over and over again. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters. I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Can we take a hint from Paul today, this Advent season? Something you might do this season is to pray for those that you miss. Yes, I know we have Skype. <laughs> okay. I know we have FaceTime. I know we email and telephone. And some of us even write handwritten letters. But I'm inviting you to a season of prayer for those whom you miss. That college kid 
that brother or sister, that mom in assisted living, that son in the military, that family that's moved, that friend who was in youth group with you. I would even ask you to pray for those who have died, whom you're missing. I know our prayer group that meets on Wednesdays at 1, we continue to pray for those folks for a full year. We follow a Jewish tradition there. I know that I still pray for my brother David, who died on December 28, 2006. You see, I'd already been praying for him for so long and so many times, it just seemed like a good thing to continue. And so I do. He's in that litany that I do when I'm walking early in the morning praying for David. I'm inviting you to this season of prayer because uh, of what Paul said, that God will complete what God has started, and that's our prayer. And that our feeling of absence will be overcome by the presence of Christ when we pray. I have a friend named Suzelle who lives in Edinburgh, Scotland. I met her when I was attending Edinburgh University, 1974, 1975. I got her a Christmas letter yesterday in the mail. Do you still get Christmas letters? Do y'all still send out Christmas letters? Yeah. Full two pages. By the way, she's doing well, uh, if you need to know. Uh, she's a little bit younger than me, not that much, but she's been in a wheelchair her whole life long. She should have died several times. She's had a good year. Uh, health-wise, and she's made 22 different trips, uh, special things, concerts and plays and uh, all kinds of things that she's gone to. We met at a biblical studies class at Edinburgh U University, and we were in Methsoc together, the Methodist Society there in Edinburgh. When I left in, in May of 1975 to come back to the States, Suzelle said something to me that has stayed with me all these years. She said this, Lynn, we can never be very far apart when we are both so close to God. I really believe that. <laughs> that when we pray for one another, this time and space just evaporates and we grow close together. That's what Paul was doing. That's what I'm inviting you to do this season. And that's a good sermon, isn't it? That was a pretty good message I had going, yeah. And then Wednesday, I went to my continuing education class on family systems, and I found another layer of praying for one another, for those that we feel distant from. I'm asking you to pray for those with whom you disagree, with whom you find disagreeable. <laughs> Our class on Wednesday was about the opposable mind, about how we so quickly get into divided positions, polarized. I know none of that's going on around us these days. And how in times of great anxiety, we tend to become more polarized, and then we tend to become more rigid in our positions. And guess who has all the truth? Nobody. <laughs> we need to pray for one another to get the spark of truth from this person or this group, and so maybe they would even hear ours, and knowing that God has some other kind of answer for us besides these two polarized positions. Maybe that's what was going on in this letter to Paul. It, it, I was reading the commentaries, and it said, maybe the reason Paul talked about so much joy in this letter was that the 
Philippians weren't experiencing that joy. <laughs> Maybe they were in conflict with one another. Maybe they were disagreeing with one another. Maybe they were divided. So Paul, when he prays for them, he prays for all of them, not just his favorites, not just for the people who agree with him. Maybe that's why he's praying that they'd be filled with knowledge and insight for praying for what really matters, praying that they'd be filled with fruit of righteousness. Maybe that's what we need to be praying for one another, especially those with whom we find ourselves in conflict. You know, the ones we're afraid of, the ones that uh, make us anxious. We need to pray because we don't have the whole view ourselves. There's some mystery that God has for us that's beyond us. But what has started in Christ will be completed in Christ. We live in this in-between time that Christ has come and Christ is coming. So whether you're part of the reconciling movement that is very inclusive of people, of whatever their sexual orientation is, or you just find that abhorrent, we need to pray for one another. Whether you believe in climate change and that we're causing that or you think that's bunk science, uh, we need to pray for one another. Whether you believe we need more guns or less guns, <laughs> we need to pray for one another. Who are you missing today? <laughs> I'm asking you to pray for them. Because Christ is present when we do. That's the good news I have to share with you today. Amen.